Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today, although not in that order. We're going to start with the president. He is definitely not the good martini today. Uh, he is the bad martini. Uh, joint session of Congress last night, the first presidential address uh, to a joint session in the Biden administration. And Jim, the social distancing, everyone I think there is pretty much vaccinated, uh, still with the masks and all. Uh, it was a very low energy environment. And with Biden's constant whispering and fatiguing as the night went on, it kind of, kind of fit the atmosphere. But man, there was a severe lack of energy in the room. But uh, here's a couple of quick key points from the speech. Uh, first of all, Biden laying out his massive infrastructure bill, $2.3 trillion, which we talked about yesterday, as well as his brand new uh, families plan, $1.8 trillion. That's for uh, universal pre-K, two free years of community college, uh, drastically uh, paying for child care even before you put your three-year-old into preschool. How is he going to pay for all that? Fair share, man. How do we pay for my jobs and family plan? I made it clear we can do it without increasing the deficits. Let's start with what I will not do. I will not impose any tax increase on people making less than $400,000. But it's time for corporate America and the wealthiest 1% of Americans to just begin to pay their fair share. Sometimes I have arguments with my friends in the Democratic Party. I think you should be able to become a billionaire and a millionaire. But pay your fair share. Jim, I've been in this town for uh, over two decades. I still have no idea how they define fair share. I think it's just more. Uh, Then he also was disingenuous about what was in the PRO Act. It basically kills the right to work and kills the gig economy, but he just sums it up like this. Good guys and women on Wall Street, but Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country, and unions built the middle class. So that's why I'm calling on Congress to pass Protect the Right to Organize Act, the PRO Act, and send it to my desk so we can support the right to unionize. And Jim, perhaps the one that got a lot of our listeners the most upset, uh, Joe Biden's explanation of uh, the Second Amendment as he sees it and how uh, his gun control agenda fits perfectly into that. And no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. From the very beginning, certain guns, weapons that could not be owned by Americans. Certain people could not own those weapons ever. We're not changing the Constitution. We're being reasonable. We're being reasonable, Jim. Uh, So much here that makes you cringe and uh, a lot of condescension from Biden. What stood out most to you? Well, I'm not going to begin with, yeah. And I think there was less to unpack here than met, than met the eye, uh, Greg. For starters, like, it's very late in the year to do a, it's not really a State of the Union, it's a joint address of Congress. Thank you, Pedance. Um, Joe Biden, we're, we're not really at the beginning of the year, we're not really unveiling a legislative agenda for the year ahead. We're pretty well into it. The you know Biden administration has already had their first big bill passed. They're trying to get their second and third big bill passed. They've already had their first you know big crucial votes and scraps. They've got their first crisis on the border, which 
completely wasn't mentioned last night. It just kind of, you know, Biden's like, well, if I don't mention it, nobody will notice. You know, sorry, it doesn't work that way, Mr. President. Um, it was very strange to see the entire chamber socially distanced and everyone still wearing masks other than the president because I'm pretty sure just about everybody in that chamber is vaccinated. Everybody in that chamber, their immune system is as good as it's going to get. And I, if you're wondering why are people reluctant to uh, get vaccinated, I can't help but wonder if a factor is that so many people who are vaccinated and now about as protected as they can get are still acting exactly the same way they were before they were vaccinated. If vaccination has changed nothing in the lives of Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chief Justice Roberts and everybody else who was there, what's the point? Why, why, what's the big incentive to get it if it doesn't really change anything? So I think that was a uh, one of the more memorable visual elements of the night. Obviously, it was not a, in those circumstances, it's hard to give the traditional State of the Union address. I'm not really a big fan of the way the State of the Union address is evolving. Yes, it's constitutionally required, but increasingly it's turned into either a laundry list of proposals, which kind of gets boring as is, or just another political speech by the president. And it doesn't really feel any different from anything else the president had said on the campaign trail or in any other speaking engagement they do. Last night was no exception. I know that everybody in politics is supposed to act like it's a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think we're going to remember any particular line from the president. Uh, I don't think this, and it's like, you know, if you're going to give a state of the union address or a joint address at Congress, like, you know, rise to the occasion, man, <laughs> I just, just try to, you know, make it bigger. And it felt like a lot of the same old stuff from Biden. And I think the other thing that just jumped out at me was just how much, if you've been covering politics a long time, if you followed politics for a long time, you know, like uh, there's a lot of this stuff that Barack Obama could have given in, in the speech, other than the pandemic, that, that basically large swaths of it were the same things Obama was calling for. We need to restore the assault weapons ban. We need to raise the minimum wage. We need to invest more and you know, spend more money. And we need to get the rich to pay their fair share. We need to help you know, create more union jobs. You know, this is what Obama said. And then eight years earlier, this is what Bill Clinton said. And I think you go back 12 back, a lot of this stuff was the kind of stuff Jimmy Carter was saying. This, the Demo it's, but the other kind of weird, big glaring contradiction in this speech is to the extent it ever did have any kind of, um, I don't want to say galvanizing, but maybe attention-grabbing aspect, was the discussion of the challenges to come, right? This recognition, yeah, we, we're getting the pandemic in our rearview mirror, still a dangerous world, still got Russia, still got competition with China, still, uh, not very much mention of Iran or North Korea, just kind of you know stray comments here and there. Um, but yeah, it's a dangerous world with all kinds of technological changes. And what is the Biden agenda? Well, we're going to raise the minimum wage, we're going to create union jobs, we're going to pursue the exact same agenda the Democratic Party has pursued for at least 40 years. It is the man of yesterday warning us about the dangers of tomorrow. And I don't think that's a particularly good contradiction. But again, if you voted for this guy because you didn't want him to be Donald Trump, then yes, by the moment he showed up, he achieved mission accomplished. He's not that. I love how uh, these uh, folks on the left who want to soak the rich without uh, defining fair share, they say, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to raise corporate taxes, but we're not going to raise taxes on the middle class. Do you know how corporate America makes up for the higher taxes they're going to have to pay? Anybody got any guesses? Any, ra any raised hands out there in the audience? Yeah. There's yeah. The, the other thing also is that, uh, you know, there's always been a separation between the aspirations of a State of the Union address and the reality of getting something passed. But at the whole time, Greg, would we have been better off to have like one camera steadily set on Joe Manchin, <laughs> just measuring his facial expressions in response to every proposal to see whether this thing is going to become law or not? No, oh, by the way, there was at least a moment where he looked pretty tired. 
Romney was way up there in the cheap seats and he looked absolutely exhausted. I'm fairly, everyone kind of remembered. It was pretty clear Ted Cruz was taking a nap at one point. Yes. Let me put it this way. Greg, I have never related to Ted Cruz ever more (laughs) in my life. You would have think the Democrats would have found a way to give Joe Manchin a really good seat. He was wedged up there in the back row of the balcony next to the railing. It looked like he had to contort himself because I think he's fairly tall uh, to just fit in there. And he had his little notepad out. I mean, if you want to, you know, sweet talk to guy, you know, give him a nice seat. But uh, hey, maybe the fact that he was uncomfortable and cramped will uh, put him in a worse mood when it comes to some of this legislation. So it could end up to... Uh, to our advantage. But uh, uh, we do have uh, good news coming up with the Republican response from Tim Scott, which was incredibly good. But we also have good news. We've got a brand new sponsor here on the Three Martini Lunch, Fast Growing Trees. Look, you probably upgraded a, a few things around the house after being stuck inside for a year now, or at least several months before you got back out. Uh, and of course, that makes sense. But now it's time to turn your yard into a paradise with fastgrowingtrees.com. You can skip the big box stores and head to fastgrowingtrees.com, the world's largest online nursery. Finally, no more waiting in lines or digging through a lackluster selection. You just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants, expertly curated to thrive in your area and delivered to your door in one or two days. Whether you're looking for shade or privacy or fruit trees, or just want added color for your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system, and it's ready to explode with new growth. We've had the chance to uh, try out fast-growing trees. Uh, this is one of those uh, areas where I consulted with Mrs. Corumbus, of course, and she uh, wanted to go with the Benjamina ficus tree for indoors, which is uh, what we got. And uh, Jim, I'm not, uh, I, I don't have a lot of experience in the plant world. Apparently, you're supposed to talk to your plants. So now my kids and my wife have actually named this thing Benjamina, since it's a Benjamina ficus tree. But we got it. It's, uh, it looks strong. It's growing. It's uh, in indirect sunlight. And I knew it was the plant for me because in the care instructions, you only have to water it once or twice a week. And it literally says, thrives with neglect. So that is the perfect plant for me. <laughs> And my uh, that, that that doesn't get any simpler than that. You know? <laughs> it's kind of passive aggressive, I guess, with uh, them basically telling you it's really hard to kill this thing, and it is. It's doing well. Uh, so the cat of plants. <laughs> Planting season is here. Join over 1 million satisfied gardeners at FastGrowingTrees.com. Plus, with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. Now through June 30th, go to FastGrowingTrees.com martini for 15% off. That's 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com martini. FastGrowingTrees.com martini. Really enjoying the ficus, I must say. Uh, let's go to our uh, official good martini here. Tim Scott was uh, uh, tasked with giving the Republican response. Usually the response is a thankless task. You can't match usually the energy in the House chamber, but that wasn't that hard last night. Uh, but Tim Scott, Jim, I think gave the best response I've ever seen to a uh, presidential speech to the joint session of Congress. And not only was it well delivered, he blew up so many narrative myths out there on so many different issues in less than 15 minutes. Here is a relatively quick summation on some of these things. First of all, he called out government for shutting down public schools way too long in the pandemic. Our public schools should have reopened months ago. Other countries did. Private and religious schools did. Science has shown for months that schools are safe. But too often, powerful grown-ups set science aside 
and kids like me were left behind. The clearest case I've seen for school choice in our lifetimes, because we know that education is the closest thing to magic in America. Love that he brought out school choice right away. Then he talked about how Biden's infrastructure plan really wasn't about infrastructure. It's a huge tax hike and how the government with that family plan wants to weasel into every nook and cranny of your life. Less than 6% of the president's plan goes to roads and bridges. It's a liberal wish list of big government waste. Plus, the biggest job-killing tax hikes in a generation. Experts say when all is said and done, it would lower wages of the average American worker and shrink our economy. Tonight, we also heard about a so-called family plan, even more taxing, even more spending, to put Washington even more in the middle of your life from the cradle to college. So well said. Uh, then he went to police reform. That's a big issue for the Democrats. And Tim Scott saying, yeah, I was doing that last year. You guys didn't want to do it, remember? In 2015, after the shooting of Walter Scott, I wrote a bill to fund body cameras. Last year, after the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, I built an even bigger police reform proposal. But my Democratic colleagues blocked it. I extended an olive branch. I offered amendments. But Democrats used a filibuster to block the debate from even happening. My friends across the aisle seemed to want the issue more than they wanted a solution. He also blasted critical race theory in our schools. A hundred years ago, kids in classrooms were taught the color of their skin was their most important characteristic. And if they looked a certain way, they were inferior. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. And finally, he brought the truth to voting reform. Republicans support making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And so do the voters. Big majorities of Americans support early voting and big majorities support voter ID, including African-Americans and Hispanics. Jim, I've never been that excited about a Republican response. Uh, that was about as good as it can be done. I think you're right, uh, Greg. I, I've, I have liked Tim Scott for a very long time. Um, in addition to covering him, my dad, I probably mentioned my dad's active there. He's had a bunch of uh, interactions with him. He even featured my, uh, my, my dad actually sent him like socks with his face on them. Uh, it was part <laughs> of a fundraiser, I believe, for... Uh, I believe for, for disabled children or, or autism research. And it was one of those things where, uh, you know, so, so with that out of the way, my, you know, minute family connection to Tim Scott. Look, Tim Scott stands out because he's an African-American man who's in the Republican Party. He stands out because he's an African-American man in the South who's part of the Republican Party. I also think Tim Scott really drives Democrats crazy, not just because they, he blows up their expectation that, well, he, he has to be on their side. That they they he somehow owes them their support. He's betraying them by not being on it. You know he you know they he's he's you know uh, taking something from them by not lining up with the party they prefer. I think because he's you know a, a dramatically underrated communicator who puts everything very plain spoken, very direct. Um, not you know never gets dragged down into jargon, but never gets too kind of you know airy or fluttery in his. Uh, uh, in his uh, speech rhetoric, he just kind of just, you know, it always feels like you're sitting across a kitchen table from him or something where he's just kind of talking to you directly about what's going on in life. 
And I think he drives Democrats bonkers in some level. Um, and I think you don't have to look any further. Not only was it, you know, I think a very good one. I think it's very, very illustrative in terms of the reaction of it because it did not take very long on uh, Twitter last night for this the hashtag Uncle Tim mm. to start trending. And you know, things get trending when they become very popular and very widely used. He talked about experiencing racism in America. He just said, but he said America is not a racist nation. But there's no necessarily contradiction in that in that uh, those two terms, right? It's a question of like, you know, how much do you have? How much do you let the actions of one group of people define your perception of the whole? And oh, by the way, a big chunk of racism is driven by that same perception. I have had a bad experience with this member of this race. Uh, you know, criminal or, or somebody who threatened you or uh, drunk, drag. You know, and because of that, I will judge all members of this group by that experience, right? That's racism. That is when you say that, you know, that same sense is there. But and, and for some reason last night, there were a whole bunch of liberals, some African-American, but a whole lot of whites who were completely comfortable calling Tim Scott and Uncle Tom because he was not saying the things they wanted him to say. That's racism right there. Okay, that's being obnoxious. And it's very intriguing. I, I put this question out earlier today. I, I do believe that there is a distinction between the kinds of people who are really active on Twitter and who, you know, feel this need to vent their spleen so loudly. And the average Americans, you know, if you we headed into the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries. Joe Biden was not the popular pick. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of other ones, and most notably Bernie Sanders were, and everybody looked like Biden was going to stumble. And then Biden went to <clears throat> South Carolina, and you know, Biden won by a wide margin. African Americans in South in South Carolina, by and large, resurrected the Biden campaign. And then it was off to the races and Biden just kept winning and winning. So there's a big difference between the online Twitter left, which had really no use for Joe Biden heading into 2020 primaries, and the average Democratic primary voter, including African-American Democratic primary voters, who I think are much more politically moderate, even if their ideology isn't that you know uh, moderate, just their entire way of talking to about politics and talking to people is very different. There's much less contempt. There's much less rage. There's much less reflexive, absolute hatred for somebody else just because they're in the opposition party. And I like to think that most non-Twitter using Democratic primary voters, the kind of people who voted for Biden and end up giving him the nomination, would say, look, I got disagreements with Tim Scott, but I don't think it's right to call him an Uncle Tom. And in fact, I think that's offensive. I think it's ridiculous to demonize somebody like that, to smear somebody like that just because he sees the world a little bit differently than you do. So I think, if anything, that's probably what we're going to remember from tonight. I think that's what's going to stick in most people's cross. And I think if you're a Democrat, you probably should be worried about the Twitter left. And I think you should be really worried about Democratic lawmakers who start mistaking the Twitter left for the actual voters in their party and for the representative of the grassroots of their party as a whole, because they're actually not. If that were the case, Bernie Sanders would be the Democratic nominee right now. And he didn't win. So it's one of those things like there is this nasty malevolence out there that I don't think is, you know, Biden's thing. I'm a little less certain about everybody else in his cabinet. But uh, it's one of those things where like Tim Scott, just by going up there and talking about what he believed in, drove a chunk of online Democrats crazy. And I think that's one of the greater challenges facing this country right now. No, that's definitely right. And uh, Tim Scott had a great speech at the convention last year. Great speech in response. There's presidential buzz. I don't know if that's something he plans to do. I wouldn't be surprised. Of course, Nikki Haley, his fellow South Carolinian, is uh, certainly acting like she's interested in running. So 
Um, usually doesn't work out too well when you have more than one person from the same state running. And so heads up, people in Florida and Texas in the GOP, you saw how well it worked for all those New Yorkers uh, running for the Democratic nomination last year. So, uh, okay, something a lot more comfortable than the Democratic reaction to Tim Scott is uh, my slippers. Uh, took two years to develop to ensure they are the highest in quality and comfort. I love these things. I'm actually at work today, so they're not on my feet today, but they will be on my feet once I get home today. 40% off for three Martini Lunch listeners for MySlippers with the promo code MARTINI at MyPillow.com. MySlippers are durable. You can wear them all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. They have beautiful leather suede and cozy faux fur linings. They come in moccasin or slip-on style, and they're available in a variety of colors. Plus, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. It's also got the three-tier cushioning system, which is just music to my feet. Uh, layer one is the MyPillow patented fill, then the comfort memory foam, and then the patented impact gel. Love these things. For a limited time, my slippers, 40% off. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener's square. Enter the promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. But you can only save that 40% on the new MySlippers with the promo code MARTINI. Don't forget that when you call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, we've uh, talked about the media a lot in the course of this podcast over the years. And we've talked about how they sometimes get the story wrong, sometimes how they slant the story to fit the narrative. And we're seeing examples of that from both political perspectives lately. And actually, we're going to talk uh, about more stories coming inaccurately from the right, uh, and two of which were martinis on this podcast in recent days, one of which was the Virginia education and uh, accelerated math classes not occurring until 11th grade. That is still correct, but uh, there were there were contentions in there that uh, you know algebra, algebra two, geometry would no longer be taught. Well, that's all going to be incorporated into uh, these new classes uh, if they are in fact uh, uh, approved. And so that story turned out not to be quite as dramatic as we initially thought. Another one which we talked about was. Uh, allegedly that uh, Kamala Harris's kids book was included in welcome kits for migrant kids in Long Beach, California. Well, uh, the New York Post uh, has changed that story now, and it turns out that one person donated one copy of that book, and so it ended up at that facility. Not to leave that story alone, though, Laura Italiano, who wrote that piece, has resigned from the New York Post, saying the Kamala Harris story an incorrect story I was ordered to write in which I failed to push back hard enough against was my breaking point. Not exactly sure what she means by the breaking point, but uh, suggests that she was perhaps pressured to uh, phrase and, and, and uh, couch stories in ways that aren't entirely accurate. And then on the flip side, Stacey Abrams, of course, the darling of the left, had written an op-ed for USA Today a number of weeks ago talking about how she totally understood why people would want to boycott Georgia. Then, when the boycott became highly unpopular... She asked, and USA Today agreed to let her stealthily go in and uh, edit that uh, op-ed after the fact to make it look like she hadn't been in favor of the boycott. So, Jim, if we're going to have a free press, the free press has got to be as objective as they can be and as honest as they can be. We've talked about the many problems they have, and whether it's right, left, or middle, being honest and getting all sides of the story is critical, and we've seen a lot of failures on that front. 
Yeah, I wouldn't characterize what we're doing here as a correction. I think it's an observation that more information has come to light, particularly on the case of the Virginia one. And I put this in a corner post. And I, now what we talked about earlier last week, uh, I think we talked a little more generically. This, you know, I was kind of focusing on the idea of this general animosity towards gifted programs and advanced classes and this mentality amongst some educators of, ah, the smart kids will do fine. We don't need to give them extra resources. We don't need to put any extra effort into developing them. Let's work, focus on the kids who are falling behind. And look, everybody wants to help the kids who are falling behind the most. But I think there's a real danger in hand-waving the needs of kids who happen to be smart. We don't want to punish kids for being smart. Right? So I stand by all of that. But that having been said, it was really frustrating that the primary story on what Virginia was doing came from first Fox News nationally, but I think there was actually kind of a local one that mostly quoted um, a uh, local uh, school board official. Now, here's the thing. I actually agree with a lot of the assessment of this school board official. I'm not really a fan, or at least I'm at minimum very wary of what Virginia wants to do with this overhaul of its math curriculum. We should keep in mind for particularly up in here in Northern Virginia, we just got the kids back in school a few weeks ago. If you're lucky in my neck of the woods, we're doing four days a week. Some districts may still only be doing two days a week. We got a lot of work to do. And I think the first thing we gotta do is assess how much you know ground has been lost over this past year. So don't make any big sweeping changes until you know where you are and what you got to do and what's you know what what the what the task ahead of you is. I do not begrudge any parent out there who looks at this and who's wary or worse saying I don't like this and but well, it's worth noting that I think it was Chap Peterson, a local democratic lawmaker with the most republican name ever, um, <laughs> who said that he asked state officials for a plain explanation of what the program actually does without using socio-political jargon and just saying what will be taught and when. It is uh, and, and, you know, the argument from uh, the kind of the, the Facebook post that set all this off involving uh, Ian Sorotkin, he's a school board member of uh, Loudoun County. Um, basically, the gist is it's probably going to homogenize. Basically, everybody from about, uh, you know, sixth grade to 10th grade is going to be generally get taught the same thing. Now, or, you know, here's the thing. Now, is this going to eliminate that? No, no. I mean, basically, algebra is still going to be in there. Geometry is still going to be there. Algebra one, algebra two. And it's worth noting, Sir Rotkin said, when he looked at this, he saw some, what he called some noble goals in this initiative, right? A pathway for every student to be able to take calculus or higher math by the end of high school if they so choose. And he doesn't, he recognized that there's currently a problem of kids getting locked into their math track in middle school and then not being able to get to calculus or other advanced stuff until they're not accelerated in middle school. So he, you know, he recognizes this is not, at least the way he sees it is not this serious effort to try to, you know, the liberals want to make your kids dumber or something like that. Uh, and also notice this program does not touch 11th grade, does not touch, this proposal, at least as it is, does not touch 11th grade, does not touch 12th grade. And at this point, it's just a proposal. Now you can love it. You can hate it. I got some real problems with it. But there were a whole bunch of conservative news sites that wrote about it as if it was done, both in the headlines and in the articles. That's not accurate. And we in conservative media, like if, look, it's not just because we criticize the liberal, me liberal media or mainstream media, although I think it's good, we should do that because they often get the stuff wrong. But I think we have an obligation to do a better job because this is what, what do we expect of ourselves? If we end up being every bit as inaccurate in the other direction, what good are we doing? You go to a site like WTOP and they said, look, there is no word on how school districts will implement the, pan, the plan. The state's Department of Education is currently gathering feedback from the public, right? This is a proposal that just got off the drawing board. It's not done. 
It's not even close to being done and enacted. And yet there were some news sites that wrote about it in the past tense. No wonder this set this off. This is classic social media, uh, you know, grandparents calling their children to say, oh my God, can you believe what those schools are doing to our kids? Look what the liberals are trying to brainwash your kids. It's not really what's happening here. Doesn't mean I love the idea. Could very well be a bad idea. In fact, I think it probably should be criticized or at the very least evaluated or at least put on a back burner until Virginia schools have a better sense of how kids are performing. That said, this turned into a much bigger deal because of how it was fairly inaccurately reported early on. It's kind of a similar story with Kamala Harris and that book. Look, I don't think that book belongs in a migrant children's center, but it wasn't the federal government buying the money. It was not lots of copies. There was, as far as we know, a copy in one migrant center on a table in Long Beach, California, a photographer who was there picking pictures took a picture of it. It was given to by a, 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 a volu- donated by a volunteer. Now, is that volunteer stupid? Yes. If you're running that migrant center, should you look at that and say, eh, I don't know if we should have the vice president's children's book here. This, you know, she's in charge of dealing with this problem. And this looks like we're trying to uh, propagandize the kids who come across the bound. But all in all, it's one person making a stupid decision. This really didn't need to go all the way to DEFCON 1. Uh, and then finally on the Stacey Abrams one, Look, you know, it's an interesting, my colleague Charlie's Cook had this really interesting observation. What is the thing we hear when somebody, if you catch somebody and, you know, 10 years ago on social media, they said something that was stupid or offensive or controversial or something like that. You hear the internet is forever. Except apparently it isn't. (laughs) Apparently you can write an op-ed and it will get changed if you decide, "Mm, that looks kind of bad. That looks kind of bad now. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I had said something different. Dear USA Today, can I change what I said? And apparently they're like, okay, sure, fine. No problem with that. Um, that's not the way it's supposed to work. If you are going to, first of all, if you're going to change, you know, if you got a factual error, you probably should run a correction and then probably say something in the article that, that marks that. Um, if you want to go back and change, you know, typos or misspellings or grammatical errors, sure. I mean, like you probably should have caught that the first time, but I really probably should not throw stones in that category. And then the third thing is, but what is very clearly is, no, no, she wants to change the emphasis of the op-ed. She wants to make it look like she was much more opposed to a boycott of the state than she was. Well, at that point, the mainstream media is basically operating as the press agent for the uh, for, for Stacey Abrams. And this is kind of, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but yeah, you've, we've all seen the photo of Stalin and the four guys in the photo. And that each, as each one of them was found guilty of some sort of ideological crime against the Soviet Union, they got airbrushed out of the photo until finally it was just uh, Stalin with one, you know, standing alone. Yeah. That's kind of what we're happening, this airbrushing of history, this editing of what people said and stood for because it looks bad and they want to avoid embarrassment. That's not the job of the news media. Or maybe it is now, Greg. I don't know. <laughs> Jim, quite a day. We will do it again tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We also invite you to find us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Find us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great day, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. 
Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.